We're uh, fresh hours after this uh, this midnight deadline. Uh, we have a new free trade agreement, uh, not named NAFTA any longer. But uh, a lot of the media talk this morning is about winners and losers. I guess uh, I know you had sort of an inside track on this thing. Can you assess it from a perspective of winners or losers, or, or how would you assess it? Well, I, I think I think it's it's hard to sort of do a, a simple tabula rasa. But look, you know, this is a tripartite agreement. Uh, at any time, it can be uh, canceled by any one of the member countries on a six-month notice. So for 24 years, we've had some some reforms over time. And I think it's frankly really simplistic for people to say, you know, one one country won, another country lost, because the, the impact of changes to NAFTA won't frankly be seen for many years to come in terms of how business and investment reacts to those changes. But on the surface, I'll say this. You know, Donald Trump came in with a heavy list of demands. He wanted to have a five-year sunset clause. He wanted to end the government procurement. There there are a lot of things that he had. And he made some gains in terms of what he wanted, but not, frankly, nearly uh, to the scale that he had hoped for. I mean, Donald Trump said he wanted – he said it was the worst deal ever. He wanted to have a radical reconstruction of NAFTA or he would cancel it. Well, neither of those things happened. Um, you know, there are some changes to NAFTA, some not insignificant changes to NAFTA, um, but none of them, I think, are deal breakers for Canada. None of them are deal breakers for Mexico. And in some ways, actually, I think it improves NAFTA for the benefit of all three countries, most notably of which is the long-term certainty of NAFTA, which has existed now for 24 years. It'll be locked in for the next 16 years with an opportunity to renew it on sort of 16-year increments at any time in the course of the agreement. So overall, it, this will mean economic stability, a reassured Canadian access to the U.S. marketplace and Mexico marketplace, uh, and the ability for Canada now to reconfirm that Canada-U.S. relationship and then start looking to other markets. Because if this whole process has taught us anything, it's that being over-reliant on the single market of the United States for two-thirds of our exports is a really bad idea. And diversification is challenging, but it's something that has to be done. On steel and aluminum tariffs, which was a key contention throughout, it, it, I'm not entirely sure where that's going. There seems to be a little bit of confusion out there. I know Mr. Trump, who just spoke. Well, I, uh, I gather those conversations, as they say, quote, those conversations are still ongoing, quote, quote. Um, so we'll see. Um, but look, the, the, the 232, which is the code for the power of the United States to randomly impose tariffs because they subjectively decide something as a national security threat, um, that power is going to remain. That power is not going to go away. I mean, it's, it, I think it's in everybody's interest outside of the United States for them not to have that subjective ability to just impose tariffs, because if you can just impose tariffs, then what's the point of a free trade agreement? Um, this is an extraordinarily rare power that has been used very sparingly and rarely, but it is being used by the United States within the context of aluminum and steel as a way, frankly, not of flexing muscle against Canada, but more importantly, flexing muscle against China. Um, you know, Donald Trump, Bob Lighthizer, his chief negotiator, uh, Wilbur Ross, the Secretary of Commerce, their principal um, enemy, if you want to put it that way, uh, globally, economically, in terms of their worldview is China. And so this new agreement and the Section 232 powers of which Canada is now being victimized by are tools in, the, in a toolkit for the United States to get very aggressive with China, who they think are globally practicing incredibly unfair and predatory trade practices. What's your read on the dairy provisions, James? I know there's some alarm from the dairy industry about increased American access this morning. Um, I think it's fine. Look, you know, we, there, there was a slight uh, increase in um, more uh, ac- market access into Canada for, you know, so people, people sort of hear these words, supply management, and basically what it means is Canada has a protected market in four areas of 
of uh, agricultural products, um, dairy products, and uh, is is the most uh, noted of them. And so, increasing or opening up the Canadian market for more American goods to come into Canada, um, you know, many argue, I would argue, <clears throat> that's good for consumers, lowers prices, creates more competition, and so on. But existing Canadian um, small farmers, there are about sixteen thousand supply managed dairy farmers in Canada. Who paid a lot of money for their quota, and these are family businesses and small farms. Twelve thousand of the sixteen thousand are in the province of Quebec. Um, you know, for them, this is a is sort of a betrayal of their expectation of what their business agreement was going to be with the government of Canada. But it's a very mild opening, and the Liberals have signaled, uh, if they haven't done so publicly, I know that they will shortly, that they're going to provide compensation for that lost market value of that quota that has been guaranteed to these Canadian dairy farmers. So Canadian taxpayers are going to ultimately end up um, having to compensate. Um, it, it wouldn't necessarily be the way that I would approach it, uh, but there's precedent to this. This is how Stephen Harper did it when we were in government under the TPP. It's what the Liberals are likely going to offer, and we'll see uh, how much taxpayers are going to have to pay for that in order to have the broader win, which is economic security through a renewed NAFTA. I'm curious, as somebody who has uh, lived life in politics and, and now uh, had sort of this inside track on the, on the NAFTA committee, um, in, in the rigor and the stress of getting a deal done, there was plenty of sort of armchair quarterbacking from the peanut gallery, uh, lots of politics at play too. Now that we've reached a deal, what's your assessment of some of the stuff we saw in the news headlines in the last few weeks and months? Well, I knew as the process was going on, um, you know, you alluded to a member of the NAFTA council. I mean, I, I knew as the process was going on, that quite literally, and I don't, you know, I'm not one to sort of habitually just randomly take shots at, at the, the media or journalism, but there was a lot of really shoddy, garbage, speculative, unhelpful um, reporting and, and guessing and gossip that was going on. Now, some, some of it was a good faith attempt. Some of it was, you know, people going down rabbit holes of, of expectation. Some of it was based on leaks that were from legitimate sources, but leaks from people who were trying to manipulate the process. Some of them were leaks and 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 you know, misdirection from interested players and all that sort of stuff. And so I, I just think I, this is one of those moments where you kind of hope the public, if you have a minute on the weekend coming up, to just do a scan back on all the NAFTA stories that have been written over the past 12 months. And you can sort of see the uh, bobs and weaves and deviations and stories that have come out of this and just how inaccurate some of them were, how accurate a couple of them or a few of them were. Um, but also realize, I suppose, on the other side, being to be fair, that journalists are trying to cover, I think, the most important public policy issue, I think, of a generation or at least a decade right now, this, this conversation over NAFTA, which is responsible for one in five Canadian jobs. And you're doing it while trying to follow Donald Trump's rhetoric, which has gone from worst deal ever, Canada is screwing us, Canada's our best friend, no, we're great partners, you know, Justin Trudeau can't be trusted, and like all over the map. So it's hard to cover an important news topic when the, the principal sources on the record are from day to day being completely erratic. So the public, I, I hope, has sort of a has a long view, didn't get too over-exercised by the day-to-day coverage and meanderings of this over the past 13 months. And we'll just read the agreement, see what they like, see what they don't like, and judge it accordingly. Do you think it sets a bar for how to deal with Mr. Trump? As, as you mentioned, he often is is more hurdle than help. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's, it's amazing. You know, Donald Trump has been on the public scene for 30 or more years, of course, <clears throat> as a politician now for three and a half um, or, or so. And we're still kind of sort of figuring it out. Um, you know, he's erratic, unpredictable. 
Um, there's no, there, contrary to what some of his supporters or, or sympathizers believe, there actually is no rhythm or method to the mayhem. It, it, it is really on a sort of temperamental, day-by-day, um, instinctive basis, as we see in the Bob Woodward book and other, and other analyses of his presidency. So I don't know that there is a, a rule book or a template or, or a how-to guide on how to deal with Donald Trump. I think you just have to negotiate in the best interest of Canada, keep your eyes open, don't get emotional, and just try to deliver the best deal possible. Perfect. I guess the last question is, as uh, we start to get our heads wrapped around details, what can Canadians expect in the next uh, you know, few days, next few weeks? The next few days will be a lot of um, genuine experts who, who will go have a real deep dive into the substance of the document and look for intended and unintended consequences. These things are laced with all kinds of unintended consequences and imperfections. And some people will light up and go crazy about it. Some people will offer sober analysis. There may be, as a result, some tweaking that has to be done because this process is not over. You know, everybody's sort of exhausted of NAFTA. Now the agreement has to be passed, debated, and passed in six legislatures. All three countries, Canada, the United States, and Mexico, are bicameral. There's an upper and lower house in all three national legislatures. And so six legislatures are now going to take a run at it. Of course, Canada, majority liberal government in both houses, we can pass it quickly. In Mexico, same thing. Um, but the United States, uh, this, this will not be considered by the current Republican Congress, because Republicans have the House, Senate, and the White House. This, the time has run out for that. This will have to be voted on in the new Congress, which, if polls are to believe, will be a Democrat House with Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Um, so they're, they're the most important players, I think, to watch in the next phase of this are, is actually going to be labor unions in the United States who will put pressure on Democrats to approve the deal because of what it means for the auto sector in repatriating jobs from Mexico. That They're going to be the most important players in the next few months. How would you assess Donald Trump's temperament? He's erratic. I mean, look, to be fair, I suppose, I'm, I'm not you know, a particularly big fan, but <clears throat> to be fair, he promised he was going to get really aggressive on NAFTA and try to change things and all that. He, he, he said it was the worst deal ever. It needed massive change or abolishing, and neither of those things happened. But he raised the subject. He got some serious reforms. They're going to be to the benefit of the United States, but it doesn't mean that they're, they're a detriment necessarily to Canada. We'll see how it plays out in the end. Um, and Donald Trump, it's amazing, he goes from being the, the greatest critic of NAFTA and how awful it is now Canada is, is ripping off the United States. And then right now he's doing a press conference saying this is the greatest deal ever. So um, it's, it's a day ending in why. So Donald Trump is true to form.